Y'all know that Ross and Rose met here at our church, and they got married. Guess what? We've got a couple more that met here, and they're going to get married. Howard and Doris, where are y'all? Where are they? Y'all stand up. Congratulations. If you have single friends, just send them. This way. Of course, this is Palm Sunday, and I wanted to do a message uh, related to that. Uh, the title is Easter is Coming. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark 11, beginning in verse 8. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and showered them along the road. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh <coughs> in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well, a husband uh, had a long, hard day at work. Everything had gone wrong. Did you ever have one of those kind of days? Everything went wrong. Everybody was coming in bringing him bad news about this and bad news about that. It was just a long, hard, terrible day. All the bad news. He came home. When he walked in the door, he said to his wife, Honey, I've had a terrible day. If there's one thing I don't want, it's any more bad news. She looked at him and thought for a moment, and she said, Well, darling, she said, uh, I want to give you the good news that three out of the four of your children did not break their arm today. I have good news for you today, just good news. It's all good news today. Easter is coming. Most of you have uh, sat through a play at one time or another or a musical uh, presentation of some type, maybe a, a cantata or something like that. I'm sure you've all been to a movie at one time or another. <coughs> we do that as spectators caught up in the emotions and struggles of the characters that are portrayed. We share with them so totally that when they weep, we weep. And when they laugh, we laugh. And we get really involved in it. We feel the pain of their defeat and the joy, the thrill of their victory. We feel it when they feel it. When the play's over, we get up and we leave, somehow aware that what we have just seen is fiction. We knew it uh, was intended only for entertainment. We enjoyed a few uh, fleeting moments away from the hustle and bustle of every day. 
We returned, of course, to reality, unchanged by what we had seen and what we had felt. You've had that kind of an experience. So my question today is, do you regard Easter in that same light? Is Easter merely fiction as we look at it and we are the spectators? When this coming Easter is over, will we at the end of the day just go home? And will we return to the stern reality of everyday life, unchanged by what we have seen and heard and felt? We won't if we correctly understand that this Easter season, God wants to say some very plain and important things to each one of us. He wants to say to you, I created you. I care for you. I love you very much. And I'm coming again for you. Palm Sunday is, of course, a very special day. It commemorates that time that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And the crowds gathered and all sorts of commotion went on. The bigwigs in uh, Jerusalem, they didn't like it. Uh, They didn't want anything to develop because of this itinerant preacher that had gone around and and healed a bunch of people. They didn't want any more to come of that. They hoped that this man Jesus and his followers would get lost in the crowd. And the whole idea of what he was talking about would just kind of fade away into history. But that isn't what happened. People started saying, this is the son of David who comes in the name of the Lord what was said in our text this morning. In Matthew 21, the Bible says, it got so noisy that the temple policemen came over to Jesus and they said, make these people be quiet. They're making way too much noise. Make them be quiet. Well, you couldn't make them be quiet. They didn't want to be quiet. And it was a big crowd of them. And they began to say, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. There were people in the crowd in Jerusalem who had read their Bibles. They had read the Old Testament. They knew what it said. And they knew why, why Jesus was riding into town on a donkey. He didn't come in on a fine Arabian horse that he could have arranged. He came in on a donkey. Why was that? Because Zechariah the prophet, over 400 years before, had said that a king would ride a donkey humbly, yet triumphantly and victoriously into the city of Jerusalem. And some knew that. And as they saw Jesus coming on that donkey, they began to say, He is the Messiah. The Messiah has come. 
If we had been there that day, it would have been obvious who was following Jesus. The cynics, of course, they were scowling and sneering. They weren't following Jesus. They were just thinking how bad all this was. The priests, they, they weren't joining in the march by any means. Uh, they, they didn't want anything to do with it. Jesus was talking about stuff that was diametrically opposed to what they believed. They didn't like a word he was saying. They wanted it all to just disappear. But there were a great host of people, children, young people, young adults, median age adults, senior adults, that were joining together in that procession behind Jesus. What does it mean to make him king, to make him Lord of our lives today? If he's the king of our lives, we will stand up for him. I have five points about this. The first one is, we will stand up for him and give a witness. There's a fellow named Dr. Bill Clark that's a good friend of mine. He was a professor at USF. He taught uh, speech over there at the university. He asked me to come downtown and to have lunch with him one day, and I went. And he said to come to his office, so I went to his office, and as I was about to knock on the door, I noticed that he had a big scripture on uh, the front door into his uh, office. I thought, now how many professors here at USF have a big scripture on their door? But he did, and it gave a witness. And the students all knew that he was a Christian. He didn't uh, back up at all. And all the professors knew that he was a Christian. I just loved it. He had a witness for the Lord. Well, number two. If, uh, if he's to be the king of our lives, we have to know his word. And we have to give evidence that we know his word. Today, after the service, I don't know if you're going to go out to eat or not, but if you do, I hope you'll say a blessing. You know what happens when you say a blessing in a restaurant? The people right around notice it. And some of them will even kind of lean in to try and hear what you're saying. They want to know what you're saying. It's a great witness, really. We've got to know his word. We have so many good Bible teachers in this church, people that have taught men and women, boys and girls, 40, 50 years in a row. They have been faithful to the word of God. They have been teaching it and believing it for years and years and years. So many of you read the Bible Every day. Some of you have told me that, and, and that really uh, brings joy to my heart. Every day you open God's Word and read it. Joe and Lois Beeson, they're sitting right over here. They have been reading together, and they do it out loud every day to each other, and they every year go through the Bible. Now, Joe, how many years have you been doing that? 
take a guess. 20 years. They've been reading through together every morning for 20 years. Isn't that a tremendous testimony? God bless them. God bless them. Number three, if he is the king of our lives, we are interested in service. Brother uh, Ed, where's the brother Ed's right here. Brother Ed has been in the ministry for 59 years. You talk about service. Now, 59 years. And uh, he's really given himself to it. He's been faithful. Dr. Laylaw is right there. Raise your hand, brother. 62 years. He's been uh, ministering, pastoring, uh, leading churches, been faithful. He's still doing it here at Trinity. Uh, Jim has been serving for a long time. He said he'd been serving, reading, studying, working in choirs and what for a long, long time. He's been in the ministry 12 years. This is my 52nd year. Can you imagine how many deacons meetings that is? You know, most churches want you to go to the deacons' meetings. I've been to a lot of deacons' meetings, 52 years. Most churches want you to go to the finance committee. Shan, I'm not advertising for this. Uh, I've been to all those finance meetings for all those years. You know, that's, uh, that's a lot. So many godly people in this church, lay people, have served the Lord. We couldn't run this church if we didn't have hundreds of volunteers, people that say, I want to help, I want to do this, I want to do that. God has blessed me, talented me, I want to do this. And they're doing it. And if it wasn't for them, this, this wouldn't work. It just wouldn't go. It wouldn't get off the ground. It wouldn't happen. Service is mandatory if you're going to really make Christ the King, the Lord of your life. Number four, about a third of the Bible is about stewardship. Did you know that? I don't know how they figured that out. I guess somebody that uh, was interested in that wrote down all the verses and, and uh, tried to relate them to some topic. I've read this a number of times, so it must be true. A third of the Bible is about stewardship. Uh, if Jesus is to be the king of our lives, we need to honor him with the stewardship of our possessions. John Grisham wrote a book entitled The Testament. That's the only one of his uh, books that I've read. How many of you have read that book, The Testament, John Grisham? A bunch of you have. In the early service, I think that group is a little more literate. Uh, <laughs> about two-thirds of them. Had read, <laughs> had read it. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this or not, but the heroine of the Testament was a lady named Rachel Lane. She was a young woman who chose to give her life to God. And she decided that she was going to be a missionary in the deepest, darkest jungles in Brazil. And she had gone over there and had given her life to that ministry. Well, in the course of time, somebody in the family died. 
and she was to inherit $11 billion, billion, B. And uh, she didn't want it. And the whole story of the book kind of centered around that fact, $11 billion. Well, she had uh, a harsh judgment on modern-day America. She thought America was in the cesspool uh, of things. Here's a quote from her lips in the book. It's a sad culture. People live in a frenzy. They work all the time to make money, to buy things, to impress other people. They are measured by what they own, unquote. Well, that's pretty strong. How about the stewardship of our life today? Are we kind of keeping up our end? I asked some financial folk a number of years ago to help me with some numbers related to credit card debt. Suppose, just suppose, that you maintain about $5,000 of debt at 12% uh, credit card uh, cost, interest. Now, I know some of you pay off your credit cards uh, at the end of the month every month. That's what I do. Uh, We don't pay any interest. But I also know that some of you have over $5,000 worth of debt, and so maybe it balances out. Well, at that rate, you pay $50 a month interest. You pay $600 a year in interest, and you pay $18,000 in 30 years in interest. Now, we have 190-plus family units in our church, that's $114,000 per year credit card interest. That's $3,420,000 in 30 years. Now I think, and I know some of you are figuring this up as I'm talking. (laughs) Shan is probably going through his mind right now. Think what we could do with that money if you wouldn't have any credit card interest and you give it to the Lord. Think what we could do. I mean, it would just be unbelievable. I think a church always needs to be praying about reaching out and and touching people, helping people. You know, I I think it would be great if we had some ads in the paper. We don't have any ads in the paper. Our communication committee, Vern and and the folks on that committee, do an excellent job. And so we get some articles about the church in there. But we don't have any paid things in there because it's expensive. We don't have enough money to do it. You know, I can think of some great guest speakers that could come that you'd be really interested in hearing, and we could put it out there on our sign And hundreds of people would come from the community because of the person that was coming and the title of what they were going to talk about. And it would be a tremendous outreach for our church, but we're not doing that because we can't afford it. Uh, You know, I 
I know a bit about direct mail. I was a singles minister in a church in Dallas for a number of years, and uh, we had some budget money uh, for that group in the church, and we sent out a direct mail to a zip code every month uh, and sent something to every residence in that zip code. We did that every month. Guess what? We had a hundred visitors a week from that mail app. Single adults that wanted to be with other Christian single adults. And some people, of course, that just wanted to come and meet somebody to date or marry. And, uh, and we, I mean, we just had piles and piles of, uh, of visitors. We led a lot of them to the Lord. A lot of them grew in their faith. A lot of them served the Lord with distinction after being a part of that for a couple of years. Direct mail is is, uh, powerful. Uh, You know, everybody doesn't read it, but a lot of people do. We don't do that because we can't afford it. We want to fulfill the Great Commission and reach out and touch people, and train people, and baptize people, and develop people in their faith. We want to do that. Fifthly, if Jesus is going to be the king of our lives, it will be clear that we are to be a part of his family. Some people don't like to join anything. They don't join anything. They just sort of float around. Well, what if everybody floated around? Have you ever ever thought about that? Who would be on the committees? You know, this church, and I guess every church, runs by committee work. We have uh, committees that take care of cell phones. We have... uh, (laughs) One of those... We have committees that do this and do that. Uh, They help keep the church going. Who would be in the choir if everybody just floated around? Who would teach Bible? Who would work on the property issues? We have a group of people here called trustees, and they're very, very faithful. They keep everything working, everything pretty. It's really nice. If everybody floated around, who would distribute the literature? Who would be on the long-range planning group. We have a number of uh, funerals at our church every year, and hundreds, uh, you know, probably during the year, maybe a thousand or two folks uh, come in to the funerals, and they just use, of course, uh, what the church members have struggled for years to provide, a sanctuary, an organ, a piano, air conditioning, Fellowship Hall, you know, things that they need to have a funeral. Over the years, I've done hundreds and hundreds of weddings, and I've done a few weddings here. Um, You know, people come, people that uh, are not members, and they, of course, like the beautiful sanctuary and the air conditioning and the Fellowship Hall, and they use what the church members have struggled for years to provide. Now, if you are a Christian, 
you would honor God by joining his church, the church that he established, and by helping us provide a place, a staff, training classes, literature, for sharing the gospel with the world. We really need that. On Palm Sunday, the Christians decided that they were going to follow Jesus, and they did, right into Jerusalem. They followed him. They made him the king of their lives. What would Jesus have you to do today on this Palm Sunday? Would you follow him? One time Samuel Clements, better known as Mark Twain, was listed as dead in the newspaper, and he was still alive. He didn't appreciate that. This type of erroneous obituary has uh, occurred all too often in newspapers across the land. One such embarrassing occasion, a man whose obituary was in the paper that morning uh, read it to his amazement. Of course, his phone started ringing. Everybody was calling and said, I thought you were alive. And uh, the living uh, corpse uh, got in his car and drove down to the newspaper place and lodged his protest. He found the editor, and he went in and sat down with him, and he said, uh, how dare you print my obituary in the paper? I'm alive. Don't you see me? Here I am. I'm alive. I'm not dead. The editor, uh, of course, was embarrassed. He didn't have anything to do with it, but somebody did, you know, and he, he was the one, of course, that got the flack for it. And he said, well, I'm very sorry. He said, uh, there's nothing I can do about today's paper, but, uh, you know, there's something we could do tomorrow if you would like. Uh, we can put you in the birth column <laughs> tomorrow. And we can give you a fresh start. Because Jesus really did die. He really did die. He died for you and for me. We can be born again. We can be in the birth column by believing and trusting and following him. On Palm Sunday, would you follow Jesus? If you've never trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, would you do it today? Today. You need to confess your sin, the sin of unbelief. Place your faith and your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And come forward, take a stand for him. Don't be ashamed of him. Take a stand for him. Come and say, yes, I want to be born again. Today, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm going to stand down here at the front. And if the Lord leads, you just slip out, slip forward. Take a stand for Christ. In this very service, make this the most important hour in your life. If you're already a believer, you've been visiting with us, I hope that you'd come and join with us and serve with us as we try and honor a risen Savior. Let's stand together as we sing.